Good morning. morning. We're glad that you're here with us today at Nineveh. We are glad that you've come to worship. Today we are at the end of our Turning Point series. You see this behind me here. We've looked uh, for three weeks now at different moments in the ministry of Jesus that would have served as turning point moments for those who are following after him. Not necessarily things that in that moment would have been thought of as, boy, this is a big Jesus moment, but most of them were encounters with those who came after Jesus, those who followed Jesus. We talked about the first uh, week, the first disciples that Jesus called, and he said, come and see And they spent time with Jesus and what a turning point that was. Last week, we looked at John chapter 4 and this Samaritan woman that shouldn't have even been speaking with Jesus that day. And what a turning point that was in Jesus opening up the gospel, opening up his identity, even revealing himself to this Gentile woman to know who he is. Today, we're going to take a look. We've been in the starting points of Jesus's ministry. Today, we're going to still be in the Gospel of John, but we're going to jump to the end, toward the end of Jesus's ministry on this earth, and we're going to look uh, at another encounter between Jesus and his disciples in John chapter 13. So if you've got your Bibles there uh, here with you this morning, go ahead and turn there to John chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 1 through 17 together this morning. It'll be here on the screen for you uh, as you're following along as well. This is also the text that's uh, on the back of the bulletin as well. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to his Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he began to pour water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said that not everyone was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. 
Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And he says in verse 17, now if you, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. May God bless the reading of his word today. See, this is an interesting scene here. We've been looking at moments in Jesus's ministry to this point. I think it's interesting that um, basically the way John captures the ministry of Jesus, John is telling a story that's not uh, the same in a lot of ways as what Matthew and Mark and Luke have, have written down in their accounts. And there's a lot of difference there. John is really focusing on the reason for Jesus's coming. He's looking at the spiritual identity of Jesus, who Jesus was, that he was both God and man why he came. And so John spends a lot of time on things that other gospels don't mention. And in the first 12 chapters of the gospel of John, John focuses basically on the three-year ministry of Jesus. And the whole entire rest of the gospel of John, after chapter 13, deals with uh, the night that Jesus was betrayed through his uh, arrest, through his crucifixion, through his burial, through his death, and eventually his ascension into heaven. So there's a pretty good chunk of the gospel of John that is devoted to especially what happened on the last night of Jesus's life. In fact, if you look at uh, John 13 through 17, it's basically five chapters that all take place on this same night that we just read from. This is Jesus's last night on earth. This is the night that he will eventually, at the end of this evening, he will be betrayed. He will be, he will receive that kiss from Judas Iscariot, who's there in the room with him now in what we just read. And so this begins that last evening as John records it in John chapter 13 through 17. I think it's very interesting to understand what we're going to talk about today in what Jesus is modeling here in light of the fact that this is his last time with his disciples. In light of the fact that this is his last moment to speak with these guys, to eat with these guys, to, to impart, basically to impart his uh, what, what he's been here, we talked last week about Jesus's ministry has been about building relationships with these men and women that follow him that will then go out and be the church, that will then go out and continue the work of Jesus. And what does he do on the last night he has with his followers? We're going to look at five things that happen in this scene in John chapter 13 that we just read. They're going to be on the back of your bulletin if you're following along. Here's the first one to notice. On his last night, Jesus knows what's going to happen. I think it's very important to understand what Jesus knows and, and to keep that in mind as we look at what happens in this passage. Look at John chapter 13 verses 1 through 3 again. 
John says it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So let's start today in in this uh, last encounter, this last night with his disciples. Let's start by looking at what Jesus knew. Because we believe, right, that Jesus is fully God, and that Jesus also came fully man. He, he somehow was the Word made flesh. He took on flesh. He took on a body, and he came to live in this world. And so there's always a lot of questions here about what did Jesus know was going on? How much foresight did he know about the things that were happening? And here in John chapter 13, John tells us, here's four things at least that John tells us that Jesus knew. Uh, Number one, he knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So he knew this was it. Read John 13 through 17 then in that spirit, understanding that Jesus knew that this was his last opportunity with his disciples. I think it really affects the the teachings that he uh, bestows upon them that night, the, the time that he spent with them. Number two, he also knew, it says that the Father had put all things under his power. Okay? Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Number three, he knew that Jesus, that he had come from God and was returning to God. He knows what job it is he is to perform. He knows what's coming. He knows what's going to happen. He knows that this is the purpose of God, that even though his life is going to end, he is going to return to the Father from whence he came. And number four, in verse 11, we didn't just read this, but we find out that he knew that Judas was going to betray him. Verse 2 tells us that the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, to betray Jesus later that night. And then in verse 11, John tells us that Jesus also knew this. And so keep that in mind as we walk through this story in this last evening between Jesus and his disciples. Keep in mind that Jesus, as he models what we're going to talk about in a moment, as he sets this last and final example for those who follow him, that not only does he know what's coming, that not only does he know that he, this is his last time with them, but he knows that there's one guy in that midst of guys that he's eating dinner with that night, that he's communing with that night, that he's speaking to in these moments, who's going to betray him unto death. See, I think the fact that Jesus knew as much as he did that night and knew that this was his last night on earth with his disciples makes the scene that we just read and the lesson that Jesus teaches even more important what Jesus knew in that moment. Number two, Jesus that night on his last night shows his disciples his complete love. Look at verse one again. 
It was just before the Passover. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And then notice the second part here of verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world. We talked last week about these relationships that he's building with those who are following him and will continue to follow him. Having loved his own who were in the world, now he loved them to the end. Some translations will say, love them to the very end, or he loved them all the way to the end. But some will say something different, because this word for end also means completely or fully. That he showed the full extent of his love to them that night. You see, because it says he's already loved those who God gave him, those who were his in the world, but now what's he doing? Now he's loving them with complete love. Now he's showing love to them even to the end, even on the night he was betrayed. By the way, you know where most of these guys are going to be later that evening after Jesus is betrayed? They, they ran away. Most of them ran away. Peter denies him three times. That same night. And yet in this moment, Jesus shows, John says, his complete and fulfilled love. Jesus loves them to the very end. Let's look at what Jesus says about love to his disciples. This is in John chapter 15. And remember, this is later on that same evening. If Jesus has one last night, what's he going to teach them? What's he going to try as hard as he can to remind these guys of? Look at John chapter 15, verses 9 through 14. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command. See, Jesus here is teaching a deeper meaning of love, a complete love, a fulfilled love. This is not your standard everyday love. This is not what is portrayed in media today. This is not what the world today believes to be love. Something that's simply about feelings and can be tossed out when those feelings are not there anymore. This, Jesus is, is fully giving us a full explanation of what his love is. Jesus says that loving him for those who follow him means following his commandments, means obedience to Jesus' commands and teachings. He also says that this love is not selfish love. This is selfless, sacrificial love. That the greatest love would be one that would lay down its life for someone else. And he also teaches that true love is found in his own 
example. This is part of why Jesus is with these guys for three years. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So this is part of that question we asked last week about why didn't Jesus, if if all he was coming for was to just lay down his life, why didn't he just go straight to the cross, avoid all this human stuff, and just pay that sacrifice? And and the, the answer is he was doing the work that the Father had prepared for him to do. And part of that work is laying an example of love, laying an example of all of these things that he teaches. If he's going to teach his followers what love looks like, what's the best way for you to understand it? By just hearing that lesson or by seeing it in action? And so for three years, Jesus is patterning these things that they are to remember. And Jesus says, now that I have loved you, my command is that you would love each other as I have loved you. And so in John chapter 13, this wrapping up of three years of ministry as he's heading to be betrayed, as he's heading to the cross to lay down his life, Jesus is going to model love one last time for his disciples. And how does he do it? How did Jesus that night show his love to his disciples? It's number three. Jesus on his last night shows his love through service. John chapter 13, verses 2 through 5, says the evening meal was in in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so what does he do? So he got up, From the meal, he took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. See, Jesus here is setting, on this last night of his life, Jesus is setting an example of service among his followers. Look at Mark 10 and verse 45 where Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, For even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, you want to know why did Jesus come? Ask Jesus. But to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man did not come to be served. Look at, his, look, look at the entire circumstances of Jesus' life. Look at the Son of God come down into human flesh, born in a manger, born in a barn. Jesus did not come as his purpose to be served by Man, And that's why the Jewish leaders, that's why the religious elite couldn't understand him. Because their pattern was, they're so great in their faith and in their holiness that other people ought to be serving them. And yet Jesus comes, he says, not to be served, but to serve. And to, to give his life as a ransom 
for many. See, it's important for us to know that this act that Jesus performs here in John chapter 13 of washing his disciples' feet, this would have been customarily performed by a servant or most likely by a household slave. As people entered the house for Passover, there would have been traditionally a lower class member of the household there to wash the dirt and the grime and off of their feet from their travels before they dined. Later, Jesus says, you've already had a bath. person that's had a bath doesn't need to be washed, but what's left? Their feet. Because this was a, a, a place, this was a society where you walked everywhere. And so even if you had just had a bath, your feet from walking from one place to another in town would be filthy. And so that night, they come in and nobody washes feet. John even tells us that the evening meal had already started, and yet nobody had stooped down and washed their feet yet. I've always wondered a little bit if this was maybe a test on Jesus's part, if maybe he, he called off the servant that would have normally washed the feet, and maybe he was just testing these guys as they came in to see if anybody would stoop down and perform this menial task. And yet, who is it that night that takes off his outer clothing and stoops into the role of a servant to wash the nasty off their feet? Their Lord and teacher. Jesus says, that's right, I am your Lord and teacher. But look at what this Lord and teacher, look at what their master, their rabbi is doing for them. Jesus is not lording these things over him. Jesus is not, uh, is not teaching them these things and then so that they can go out and rule the world as he has done. This is, is why the disciples really struggled with who Jesus was because they knew who he was, but they didn't truly understand why he came. They wanted a king. They wanted a political ruler that was going to go in and throw out the other political rulers. They wanted somebody to stand up and fight. They, didn't, they weren't looking for somebody to stoop down and serve. And yet that, this is what Jesus models for them on the last night of his life. And in doing so, in modeling service for his followers, number four, he confronts the human desire to be first. That night in serving his followers, in stooping down and washing the feet of these men in that room, Jesus confronts the thing that is in all of our human nature, the desire to be first. Look at the encounter that happens between Jesus and Peter as he's rounding the table and gets... To Simon Peter. John chapter 13, verses 6 through 8. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You don't realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter. Does that sound like a good thing to say in this moment? No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Then Jesus declared, Unless I wash you, you have no part 
with me. See, this desire to be first is primary in our human nature. And in Simon Peter, more than others, it came out quite a bit in Jesus' ministry. But not just for Simon Peter. Really, all these guys struggled with it. And Jesus spent a good amount of time teaching his disciples against that human urge to be first. Let's look at another example in Mark chapter 9, this time verses 33 through 35. This is Jesus again and his disciples. Look at what they're arguing about. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, Jesus asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. It's, it's right there. Even among these guys who had given their lives to follow this teacher, they still were jockeying for first position. Verse 35 says, and Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and must be the servant of all. You see, in, in this scene in Mark 9, Jesus' disciples are worried about which one of them was the top dog, right? Well, of course, there's 12 of us, but which one's your favorite, Jesus, right? No, I, it's John. No, it's not John. It's, it's, it's me. It's Peter. No, it's not Peter. And here they are. Jesus is modeling his ministry. Jesus is taking these guys on a tour of the world to bring what will be salvation for the people he came for, and they're arguing about which one's the greatest. You think this still happens in the church today? You see, Jesus' disciples were worried about their place. They were worried about where they stood. But in this moment, in John chapter 13, that's not actually what Peter's concern seems to be. Peter, is, his objection is not that he's trying to put himself first, but Peter's objection is that Jesus is lowering himself. Peter's objection is to the idea that he doesn't want Jesus to stoop down and wash his feet. Why? Why? Because they didn't want a servant leader. They wanted a king. They wanted somebody that was going to come in and take over. We said last week that while Jesus' disciples seemed to understand who he was, they struggled to understand why he came. And Peter, to the very end, really struggles with this idea of why Jesus would come and that Jesus would lay down his life. In fact, on the night that he was betrayed, what does Peter do in the garden? takes out the sword, cuts off a guy's ear, right? As one last stand against those that are coming to take Jesus. Why? Because Peter wasn't looking for a servant. Peter was looking for the guy that would be first. Jesus, you can't wash my feet. That would make you less than me. And he's putting Jesus up here in a way that Jesus didn't come to, intend to come. Jesus did not come to lord it over the world? Jesus says, that's why, that's what the Pharisees do. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. 
This is not even in in that upper room moment in John chapter 13. This isn't even the first time that Peter himself has struggled with this idea. Look this time at Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23. Notice what Jesus is saying. Notice what Jesus is trying to get across here in this scene. And what's the reaction from Peter? From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus is trying to prepare them for what's coming. But verse 22 says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never. Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to him and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. This guy that Jesus called to follow him, this guy that would be the leader of the church, this guy that would be doing the work of Jesus after Jesus is gone, Jesus calls him Satan. Jesus calls him a stumbling block to the work of the ministry that Jesus came to do. Why? He says, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And what am I, outside of the grace and the love and the truth of Jesus, what am I as a human concerned with? What's my primary concern? me. My primary concern is with me. And these guys that were following Jesus were concerned about who they were because they followed Jesus. And it would be some time before they understood what he came to do for them that night. Peter's refusal here to to let Jesus wash his feet is really another example of this fundamental understanding of why Jesus came. Look at what Philippians chapter 2 says about why Jesus came and what he did in doing so. Philippians 2 verses 5 through 8 says, In your relationships with one another, have the very same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, what did Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, what did Jesus do? Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So in this moment, Jesus is patterning what love and service looks like. Not just now, not just because he's going that night to lay his life down, but he's doing so as a pattern for what their ministry will be. Number five, that night in doing this, Jesus sets an example for his true disciples to follow. You see, this would be a great, powerful moment 
where Jesus is showing what service is, what Jesus is showing what love is, and yet that's not all that's happening here. You see, it's not enough that Jesus is teaching his disciples what love looks like, what service looks like, or even for them to believe that Jesus was love and that he came to lay down his life for others. Jesus is teaching his disciples this lesson in order to show them how they were to live their lives. Look at John chapter 13, verses 12 through 17. When he had finished washing their feet, Jesus put on his clothes and returned to his place. What's he going to say after he has basically humbled himself in a humiliating way, taking off his outer clothing and washing the nasty stuff off of his disciples' feet. By the way, put yourself in in that spot for a moment. Put yourself in that spot. If you got the chance, even just one night, not three years, but you get one night to spend with Jesus during his ministry on this earth, imagine how you feel when he stoops down and washes your feet. Knowing that the Messiah, that the Son of God, that the Savior of the world is washing the junk and the dirt and the grime off of your sinful feet. And Jesus says, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Jesus says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And Jesus says, don't miss it, church. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is what Jesus, the end of Jesus' ministry is coming to. It's not just, hey, remember the words that I said. But this is about now that you know these things. We've spent three years together. You started by coming and seeing what I was doing. And we've spent three years together. And now that you have seen these things. I'm going to the Father. I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to rise from the dead, and I'm going to be gone. And Jesus says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You see, obedience in the example and in the pattern of Jesus is of the utmost importance for those who follow him. I hope you hear this today, church. I hope you hear this as we seek to be followers of Christ. That it's of the utmost importance that we not simply believe what he says, but that we obey it and walk it out in our lives. And this is a very biblical truth. This is all over the scriptures. Look at 1 John chapter 2 verse 6. John says, whoever claims to live in him must do what? must live as Jesus did. This is about obedience. This is about obedience to Jesus' commands. This is about looking at Jesus' life and understanding how he lived 
and copying that pattern. James 1 verse 22 says, do not merely listen to the word. This is where a whole lot of church people are sitting. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Is it enough for me to be a follower? Can I be a follower, a disciple of Jesus and only believe? Or is it essential that my life be lived in obedience? Look at Luke 10 and verse 37. This is following the parable of the good Samaritan, by the way. Jesus tells this story about a a man, a Samaritan man, who lays down his, his welfare, takes care of a Jewish man who's been hurt, and then he asks this question, which one of these in this story showed mercy? And it's the expert, verse 37 says, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. This is the one who did right. It was the Samaritan. It was the one who, who patterned service. It was the one who gave himself to take care of this person. And then look at what Jesus says in response to this man in verse 37. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. He doesn't say it's enough that you know the truth, that you picked out the one guy in the story who did right. Jesus says to this Pharisee, now go and live your life that way. And church, that is what he says to us every time we encounter him through his word. Because the word itself is clear that this is not just about believing the right thing. That this is not just about having the right doctrine. That this is about having the right practice. That this is about living our lives in the pattern that Jesus set for us to live. This is about knowing Jesus, knowing God the Father through his word, and then go living that out in your life. And see, this, I believe, is one of those major turning points for those who seek to follow Christ. This moment that happens, this breakthrough that finally happens between belief and obedience, church, when that wall is finally broken down, I think that's one of the major, the biggest turning points in faith and in what it looks like to follow Jesus. This understanding that it's not just about We're church people. It's not just about we believe, even though the world doesn't believe. But this is about we are living that belief out in action, in practice. You know why the world today really struggles with what the church has to say? Because so many in the church are not living out what they have to say. Because so many in the church or making it maybe about what they have to say instead of what did the Father say and living that as patterns in our lives. Do you want opportunities in your life? Maybe you've been praying this week as I challenged you to last week to, to, to have opportunities to reach others for the gospel, to have opportunities to bring others in to the family of God. Do you know what would be the most 
important thing for those that you would pattern this truth to? That they see you living it in your life. That they see that in you. That they understand what love is because they see it in you. That they get what service is and what putting others first is because they see it in you. And again, this is not about us. This is not about us being something good. This is about lowering ourselves. This is about our position being lower so that we can point them to the giver of life. So that we can show them the one who laid down his life for us. Church, this is the turning point, the understanding for those who follow Christ that it's not just about believing in Jesus. It's not just about claiming the name of Jesus. This is about living as Jesus lived. I'm going to ask Chad and the band to come out for invitation time today. And as we do, I'm going to ask that they put uh, that first slide up on the screen today. So today, the, there's one last question in your notes, and it asks you this. What does discipleship look like. So this is what we've been talking about for three weeks, and this is what I want to um, leave you with as we close today. The first week we talked about what is, it, what is it that really looks like to follow Jesus? Well, it starts in John chapter 1 with Jesus saying to those guys, come and see. Come and see what is going on. They say, Jesus, where are you staying? And Jesus says simply, come and see. One of the guys says, well, what, what, Nazareth? What do you mean, Nazareth? What can, how could the Messiah come from Nazareth? And they just say, come and see. Go to the next slide. The second week we talked about Jesus has come for this idea that he, he said, my food is to do the work of the one who sent me. My, my food, what fills me, is to do the work that the Father has sent me out to do. The work we said of sowing seeds and harvesting them. The work of doing the, the kingdom work of the kingdom of God. And this week we say, put the next one up, that this is about obedience. That this is about taking the word of God. We've spent time with the Savior. We've been at his feet. We've understood his word. We've seen what the Father is doing, and yet there's one thing left. And that one thing left is obedience. That one thing left is seeing what he's calling us to do and doing it. And so go ahead and put that last slide up. You want to know what discipleship looks like? It's really not as hard as we make it sometimes. Because discipleship is coming and seeing what Jesus is doing. Seeing the work that the Father desires to do. Seeing what his work is in this world. And church, going and doing it. Jesus says, come and see. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know which of these steps you're on. I don't know if you're following Jesus or if you're just coming because somebody invited you to church and you haven't even taken that first step. And today as we have a time of invitation, I would say, come and see. Come and experience Jesus. Come and sit with Jesus. Come and study Jesus' word. Come and see for yourselves. 
And he's gonna confront you with the work that he desires to do in your life. Go see what the Father is doing. You don't have to make something up. You don't have to, to come up with something great to do. See what God's doing. What is it the, the, the work of the Father that he desires to do through his church in these last days? But here's the sticking point. The sticking point comes after we know what it is that he desires for us to do. And the question is, will we simply obey? Will we simply take the pattern that we've seen Jesus set before us and live it out in our lives? So today, as we stand and as we sing, we proclaim the truth that Jesus is coming, that Jesus will soon return for his church. And church, he desires for you to be faithful until he does. He desires for you to be about his work until he does. The question is, are we being obedient in our lives? Terry's going to be up front. I'm going to be down here. If you need to make a decision, if Christ is calling you, respond today as we stand and as we sing.